Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And we're really happy today to be joined by one of my cousins, Sarah Russell. Hi, Sarah. Yay! Hi, Hi. Sarah. <laughs> Where are you joining us from today? I am in Lake Mary, Florida. Ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're so happy to have you here. Now, our fathers are brothers. So that is how we are yes. connected on our family trees. Tell us. Hey, is one of them an Adam and one of them a Crosby? Oh. I don't think so. Okay. No. <laughs> Neither one are Crosby. Yeah, neither one are irresponsible enough. And and weirdly, I think neither of them are responsible enough. <laughs> they're really middle of the road, guys. Yeah, they're, they're Joels. They're more Joels. Oh, okay, good. So, Sarah, well, do you tell us a little bit about Team Russell? Sure. Well, my little Team Russell is me and my husband and my son, who is just turned 12. So there are three of us. But part of why I love Team Braverman is Team Hoyer that I grew up in has two boys and two girls, just like the Bravermans and then my parents. So our family setup is a lot like theirs. So cool. And, you know, obviously your name is Sarah. It's like Lauren Graham's character. (laughs) Another connection I love, speaking of Lauren Graham's character, is that you studied acting in college at Southern Methodist University, Uh which is where Lauren Graham studied. I didn't know you knew that oh i knew it (laughs) caleb does his research oh yeah she's a big smu is very proud of lauren graham we learned about her for sure she did her mfa there and i did i got a bfa there but we had the same professors so wow we heard some about her and you know they would bring good dirt (laughs) no not dirt not dirt like good like just like auditioning for commercials and stuff and like what she went through with like focus groups and Gilmore Girls and that kind of thing. Because they would bring actors back to talk to us, too, who had been in the program, you know, and kind of like the ins and outs of the business. So. Yeah. Well, I guess I should mention, like, commercial for SMU. She's she's not the only, like, notable person to yeah. come from there. They have, like, quite a few. Yeah. Who are some others? Do you know? Well, like, Kathy Bates is kind of a big Ooh, one that they like to talk a about huge a lot. One. Yeah, yeah, I love Kathy Bates. We, they like to brag about her. She was our commencement speaker. And now I'm like blanking on her name. But um, what's the show like from the 90s with Tim the Toolman Taylor? Oh, Patricia, Patricia Richardson? Richardson? Patricia Richardson. And she <laughs> actually, awesome. she came and talked to us too. I remember her coming and doing her. And there's like people I graduated with who are working now and well, not right now, now, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, true, true. In general. Hard time Everything. for theater. <laughs> uh, yeah, and TV. Yeah. Speaking of TV, mm-hmm. <laughs> this, this whole podcast, that was a yeah. stupid segue. <laughs> no, I liked it. Well, tell us a little bit about your history with Parenthood. I watched Parenthood not exactly when it first aired, but it was definitely still on TV. So I was like catching up on the episodes, streaming them. And I had a small kid. So like some things were very parallel to my life, you know, like while I watched it. And then um, my husband and I were watching it together and then it got too drama for him. And so then the last, I think the last two seasons I did on my own, but I loved the whole thing. I was like into it. And Caleb would post about it on social media and I'd be like, oh my God, let's talk about it more. (laughs) Well, your dreams are about to come true. I know. (laughs) 
Well, oh. today we are specifically discussing Parenthood Season 1, Episode 10, Namaste No More. It was written by Tyler Bensinger and directed by Ken Whittingham, and it originally aired on May 4th, 2010. And here is the synopsis from NBC. When Crosby and Jasmine's relationship heats up, they have to decide how to explain it to Javar. Elsewhere, Adam and Christina are on the search for friends, but find that the process is more difficult than they thought. Sarah learns about Zeke's financial problems. Meanwhile, Julia becomes the new coach of Sydney's soccer team, and Hattie goes to Amber for advice when her boyfriend starts pressuring her into having sex. It was such a good episode. I'm just going to cut to the chase right now and say... This one, I was like, oh, man, so juicy. I don't know. I just I agree. Ugh. I felt like we yeah. were really in it. You know, now we're 10 yes. episodes in. It's like, okay, now there's really stuff to mine. Well, let's start with some of the less substantial <laughs> storylines <laughs> and work our way up. So yes. this is not the most unsubstantial one, but let's start with the Adam and Christina storyline about, about their friend search. Uh, the first thing I took note of, because I know, Melissa, you're a big Felicity fan, and you Yay. mentioned that Sue's Lessing was on Felicity as Megan. I love her so hard. <gasps> Perhaps because you had just mentioned it to me, I noticed for the first time that their son's name is Noel, which is also a character on Felicity. Do you think that was intentional? I wondered, actually. I, I didn't notice it the first time either. I just noticed it this time. I was like, there's Megan. Oh, and she loves Noel. And I don't know, the whole thing Did made Megan me... love Noel on Felicity? No, she tolerated Noel. She tolerated <laughs> everyone. She was like the complete opposite of her character on Parenthood. Yeah, she's like totally gothed out. And she was just a damn delight. And, and so I'm always excited when I see her pop up on the show. I felt obviously bad for the lessons that the Bravermans ditched them. What surprised me the most about that scene was that Max allowed his parents to lie for him. Yeah. That doesn't seem that he, like something I would expect he would be able to like keep secret. Yeah. He's so literal. Yeah. I think you would say, no, I don't feel sick. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm bored. I want to go I home. To leave. Not this is roll. not fun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he did let them lie, didn't he? He didn't yeah. tell them he was sick? No, he didn't. But he didn't correct them. That is interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe he's just, I mean, he's very smart, too. Maybe he just realized what was going on. This like, is my ticket out oh, of here. Yeah. <laughs> just latch on I and don't let go. I think the most uncomfortable part was that man's bicycle outfit. <laughs> Fair. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know... Uh, that's a really good point. I mean, would you guys have left if you were uncomfortable or would you have just stayed even if you weren't having a good time, like to be more polite? I wouldn't have cut it so short. Like, I think I would have stayed the absolute minimum length of time without seeming rude. I mean, also, it would depend. Are they just not enjoying themselves or is there something actually making them uncomfortable? If I feel like, oh, this is not a good place for me to be for whatever reason, then I would just get out. But I don't think that's what they were feeling. I think they were just like, this is lame. Yeah, if Noel was like hurting Max, like I couldn't tell if it was like, is he hurting him or is he just like hugging him really hard? <laughs> like I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. So if I thought my kid was like being hurt, I would be like, I think it's time for us to go. But in general, my politeness would make me stay through the meal. Me too. Well, and I think especially since it's not like, 
this is their first time meeting the Lessings. And, you know, like they already knew that they didn't really like the Lessings that much. There, there's been previous episodes about this. They think they're kind of, um, you know, not very interesting. They don't really connect. And so I don't understand why they're, you know, like, why are we surprised by this? You know what you're getting if you've agreed to go over there. Also, now that we're kind of like picking it apart, the Lessings, probably more than anyone else they know, understand Max's situation. If you're going to make up a lie, say like, I think this is a lot for Max all at once. So I think maybe 10 minutes is the perfect amount today. Yeah. And then we'll see if we can do 15 minutes the next time or something rather than like he's sick just seems so obvious that it's not true. Be a little bit honest because they'll understand that socializing is maybe not the easiest thing for their kid to do. Well, then once the Lessings hugged, you know, like after the Bravermans left and you see them hug, I was like, that's kind of sad, was, actually. Yeah, you know? they totally like, yeah. know what just happened. Yeah, it was sad. They're not dumb. They know. Well, I thought it was really interesting then when they have their little friend date with the Genitazios. I loved seeing Adam prep Max for that. A host is someone who has a friend over. That is exactly right. And do you know what the first rule of being a good host is? Sharing. That's right, sharing. And also letting your guest choose what they want to do. Okay. So these people, the Genitazios are coming over and they have a son, David, right around your age. Uh-huh. And I work with David's dad. So, it, I mean, it'd be nice if we all did our best to get along. Okay. So let's say you and David are playing with your bugs and David decides that you know, he doesn't want to play with your bugs anymore. He wants to play basketball. What are you going to do? Play basketball. Right. Even if you want to... Still play with bugs. Exactly. Okay? Can we stop talking about this now? Sure. You owe me a sticker for this. You got it. I thought that felt really real, and it was nice to see it as a viewer, because I also felt like, oh gosh, that would be so difficult to have to prepare for social interactions that seem so automatic for most people. It's like, this is what you have to do with Max. It also makes you appreciate the kind of things kids do so often just pick up on that like, Mm -hmm. oh, if someone else wants to play with something else, I should just do it so that we can keep this interaction going. That's quite a sophisticated thing to pick up on. You know, my mother's hero or one of them is Mr. Rogers, and I love him, too. And I remember this quote from Mr. Rogers, which is play is the work of children. And I really love that. It's the idea that like, Through play, it's how kids figure out almost everything. You know, it is how they figure out how to communicate with other people and what's fair and what isn't. And so I I do think that's a really interesting thing, that it does come kind of automatically to a lot of people. And if it doesn't, then that really is a hindrance. I mean, how, how difficult to form relationships if you're not able to interact in that way. When Adam and Christina get ditched, (laughs) I certainly feel for them. But Max seemed... I didn't. (laughs) Is that terrible? I didn't feel bad for them. Okay, see, sorry, go on. Oh, I did. (laughs) I mean, just because that, you know, that's not how they wanted it to go. They were were trying. But Max seemed really genuinely hurt by it. Mm -hmm. I did feel bad for Max. That kind of killed me. But I think perhaps because he picks up on cues differently, it's, I felt like it was almost easy for me to forget that he still has feelings. Mm. So to see, like that hurt his feelings. That's what happened there. She's like, of course, he's he's a child and he knows what just happened. He knows the kid didn't like him. And uh, I just, yeah, my heart broke for him. 
And I think he was maybe a little, because that clip that you just played, he knew he didn't, like, did he not do it right? Oh, you yeah. know, a little bit of like, but I offered, I asked him, you know, because he's like, Max, what happened? You know, he's like, I asked him if he wanted different bugs, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> oh. like sorry about that, dad. Like, I felt like there was a little <laughs> bit of like wanting to, you know, the father son thing. Yeah. Well, and then they debrief about it, Adam and Christina. That kid was not sick. I know. No, I can't believe they would just leave like that. You know, we hadn't even brought out the damn apple crisp yet. You made apple crisp. Honey, we did the same thing to the Lessings, remember? Same thing. Well, look, so what? Now we're relegated to the short bus? We have to hang out with people like the Lessings instead of cool people like the Genitazios? Well, maybe it's not about us right now. Okay, maybe it's about Max. Well, can it be about us just a little bit? So I, you know, the use of the term short bus is really not oh. cool. And yet that. it felt believable to me like something that you might say in private when you're venting. I was mostly impressed that Christina was so quick to refocus the situation on Max. I also don't think the stakes were as high for Christina because she didn't already know the Genitazios. And, you know, this really meant a lot to Adam. He was so excited. Top five friends, potential, etc. And maybe that's why I... I really didn't feel bad for Adam at all. Maybe a little bit, Christina, definitely Max. But I really thought it may sound terrible of me, but I was like, well, see, that's a natural consequence. That's like karma. That's, you know, you treat people badly and and it kind of comes around on you. I don't know. That may be a real hippie thing to say, but that's just kind of how I felt. I was like, you just kind of disregarded the lessings the same way you just now felt disregarded. And you might not have realized how cruel that was unless it happened to you. So in a way, it kind of made me happy it happened to him, which might sound messed up. I think it was funny that like he didn't make that connection right away. She had to <laughs> kind of point it out for him. Like she's like, we just did that. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, he's like, they lied. She's like, so did we, you know? That's what happens. You raise a good point, though, Melissa. Like, this does fit in with a larger trend that we've seen of Adam resisting the truth of Max's diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, he clearly wants to be friends with the quote-unquote normal people and not have autism parent friends. But you got to take friendship wherever you can find it. And if someone's not going to be open and celebrate your family including your son, like, why would you even want to be friends with them? Which, you know, to their credit, I think is the lesson that they learn. Yeah. Well, and I think that the term short bus, like the fact that Adam uses that probably says a lot about where he is in his like journey. That's a hokey word, but you know what I mean? Of like accepting that his child has special needs, you know, like, I mean, to me, that's a real disconnect. Why would you use that ever? But like, especially in his case, it's not very sensitive, but I think it probably was chosen deliberately, you know, like, I I don't think that it was an oversight on the writer's part. I think that it was probably there to show us where Adam is and that he does resist, as as Caleb said, the idea that they're not quote unquote normal and they can't be friends with the cool people, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, interesting. I also liked in that scene that Christina was reading a book called Lust and Found. (laughs) I did did not not see that. And uh, kitty's on the grill. I think it's a fake book because like maybe like the props department made it because I searched that title and there are several books called Lust and Found, but none that looked like the cover of her book. And the only books that I found were like books published after that episode came out or like a (laughs) YA book or um, 
a gay male romance novel. It's like, I don't <laughs> think any of those are the lust Doesn't seem like that she's reading. Christina's style. <laughs> no. Now I want to go back and see that. Sarah, since you're a parent and neither mm-hmm. of us are, larger question, how do you deal with your kids' feelings getting hurt? Like, that is something that I... I only have nieces and nephews, but the thought of, you know, there's going to be people who bully them. Yeah. Or there's going to be times they feel left out or made fun of. Like, it's just part of life. And I feel like you could know that in your head, but how, like, your, wouldn't your heart just shatter into a million pieces? Oh, yeah. It's really sad. Super sad. If your kid mm. is left out or made fun of or... Yeah, it's really hard. It's also hard to know when to step in and when to let those... Like, I do think we learn through those things, you know, we can't, we can't never be hurt, you know, as much as like a parent, you want to kind of like wrap your kid up. You also know that if I do that, he'll never grow. He'll never like, we don't learn from like all awesome stuff happening. (laughs) We learn from our struggles and yeah, it's hard. It's sad. It's hard to see it happen. And I think it's just about like talking your kid through it, letting them know they can tell you about it, I think is like a huge thing. Or if you think back to being a kid, it's like, that's what you want is to be able to tell someone like that I felt really left out today, or I didn't think I could say this today. I mean, I know we've gone through like different things with my son, like he had really long hair for a while. And he loved his hair, but he knew certain boys would not think boys should have long hair. You know, Mm -hmm. we went through a big thing of like, when he played sports, I wanted it tied up, but he said if it was tied up, he was made fun of. If it was just long, it was fine, you know, and things like that, right? To be like, well, you just tell them, I think it's cool, you know, which sounds like such a mom thing to be like, <laughs> you just tell them it's all right, you know, like I'm, I'm cool how I am, you know, so I don't know. It's like an ongoing and we're in middle school now. So that's like a it's whole hard. new you know, that's a like prime get teased and worried about who your friends are time. Yeah. So it's tough. I think it's tough. But I think the thing I noticed in that was like as parents, when you have kids, your friends change or they can for a lot of people they do. And so I thought it was kind of interesting that like Adam was like being fairly honest about like, but I'm trying to have friends. Man. <laughs> like, you know, like when you have a kid, you're like, do I still get to have friends? Like, do we still get to do stuff? Like, do our kids like each other? Can we all hang out? Do like just the dads hang out, just the moms? Like, how do we navigate that? So I think that's one of the things the show does well is sort of like introduce that like, it's not that easy to have friends while you're raising kids. You're like caught up in, that's like such a big part of your life that it's hard to also have friendships. That's a good point. And one I hadn't really thought of beyond joking with Melissa that none of the Bravermans seem to have friends. They all just hang out with each other. Yeah. Well, so we lived like, our, we lived in Chicago for years and years, and we just moved back to Florida two years ago. And all three of my siblings live here who have children. They're married with children and my parents. And I realized that when you have three siblings who live here and parents, like, it's also hard to find time for friends because that family takes up so much time, you know? So it might be more realistic that the Bravermans are like, we have kids. We have all this family drama. Like, we can't have friends. I'm sorry. <laughs> that might just be like a real thing probably happens you know one way I can maybe relate a little is well Jay is still you know such a a dear friend and she has obviously kids she was on the podcast recently and talked about them a lot and it's really lovely I don't think that threw a wrench into our friendship at all but you know we've been friends since we were 11 
But a lot of Marks and my friends, we've noticed like when they had kids, we kind of stopped being friends Mm -hmm. and it just happened naturally. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to even know whose fault that is. But I've noticed sometimes people with kids think that we won't want to hang out with them because we don't have kids. But we're like, well, we're both teachers. We love kids. We've just chosen not to have our own. In fact, maybe we'll enjoy your kids more than people who have their own because, (laughs) you know, we're not used to seeing them all the time. And it's kind of lovely. But it's just, yeah, it feels weird. Like maybe parents want to be friends with other parents because they've got stuff to talk about, things in common. And so I don't know, it's been a it's been a weird thing. And, you know, living in Kansas, especially when we lived in our our hometown, there weren't very many people like us who chose not to have kids. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think we were kind of looked at as being, you know, weird. You're like, we don't mind if there's kids around for real. Come on. Yeah, for real. Yeah, that's exactly how we felt. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It is an interesting thing to like navigate friendship as an adult, which looks so different from friendship as uh, an adolescent, you know, and, and when you're a kid, your friends are like everything to you. Right. And so then you get older and your family kind of means everything to you. I don't know. Well, the other sort of inconsequential storyline <laughs> in this episode has to do with Julia taking over Sydney's <laughs> soccer team. I was first struck in this storyline that, you know, maybe Joel just knows his wife really well. Maybe that's what we're supposed to take away from this. But I thought this, he had a fairly unsupportive attitude, I thought. How about a conduit? Yeah. What? Oh, you're serious? Okay. Yeah, well, why not? Yeah. Yeah. And you don't think it's going to be an issue if the what? You know, team, if they may not... Win? That's it. Yeah. We both know you hate to lose. Yeah. So. I, I would love to coach a team of, of rejects, sure of, you of losers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know why? Uh-huh. Because it pisses me off that the world is divided up that way at five years old. Yeah. Yeah. No. I'm not just saying, okay, I'll do it. No, you're getting I, right I am going to give these kids a great coaching experience that isn't about winning. Right. No, no. Yes. It wouldn't be with you. God, no. It's going to be about having a good time. Yep. You know, listening to it again, maybe I'm too hard on him because it's so funny. It's It's so so funny. funny. That's all I thought. Like, I mean, now that you've brought up the point of that's unsupportive, I can totally see it. But all I could think when I was watching it was I was like, once again, Joel is so much funnier than I remember him being. It's so subtle. And and everything he said cracked me up. I loved it. I think you're right. I think it is. He just knows his wife really well. He knows she's going to be competitive. Well, even so. like Sydney's face when Julia she's tells like, her, don't. <laughs> it was like she she is such a good actress. She is. Page, she just nails it. Like no words, just communicate all of this. Oh, it's and like she a does weak it. smile. It was a weird, that's a little terrified yeah. and a little weary. A weird forced smile that her dad was like coaching behind. He was like, <laughs> "Yeah, this is good." Oh. Well, that being said, this this whole plot line, I kind of felt like we were supposed to be judging Julia a little bit. But overall, I feel like she was great and didn't do anything wrong. I mean, she wasn't it wasn't like Jabbar didn't want to play. I think he was really happy to play and he wasn't on another team. She didn't take another player. She just like recruited a new player. It looked like all the kids on the team were having more fun and it looked like they all liked Jabbar. What did she do that was so bad? I thought she was doing a pretty good job coaching for free. Yeah. <laughs> I, I 
loved it. I thought she was an excellent coach. From the very first scene we see her where she's asking all the kids what their like special skills are and as a teacher, I know that like that's number one. You build relationships. You get to know them on a personal level. And she does that, it seems like by instinct, very naturally. And I was like, number one, that's awesome. And then, yeah, incorporating Jabbar, I saw no problem with that. Yeah, she wants to win, but it's not like she can't stand Jabbar. She loves Jabbar and he loved being included. It was a win-win for everybody, yeah. literally. And she was civil with Raquel, you know, there was yeah. no. Uh... It looked like maybe it was going to go somewhere bad, but then it never really did. Yeah, I thought it was just fine. I mean, I guess there's a little bit of hypocrisy from her first scene when she oh, says, sure. we're not going to define winning by what's <laughs> on the scoreboard. And then she makes change. But it's like, I think it's, I think two things can coexist. One, which is winning isn't everything. And it is still the goal. You know, <laughs> if you're not trying to win, yeah, I don't think you, you should be playing. Yeah, why are you playing? <laughs> but you can still have an attitude of, and if I don't win, that's Okay. If I gave it my best shot, if I worked hard, this was valuable. But if you're getting like stomped every game, not fun. Yeah, I don't know how fun that is. That's like yes. that softball team you were on that one summer. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we lost every single game. And by a lot, right? Yes, it was awful. It was not fun. Not fun. It was, I was about to ask, but did you have fun? No, we lost every game. It's not fun losing every time. No, yeah. No. Julia did have that one funny lie to Joel, though, where she's like, they begged me to let Jabbar play. That's true. (laughs) That's that's maybe not good. She's like, he was begging to be on the team. He's like, oh, okay. But he knew. He knew she wasn't totally interested. Yeah. The other thing that I will call out just a little, I was like, how good is this kid that he completely turns everything around? They go from being the losers of the of the thing to be like, now they're unstoppable. I don't know. <laughs> I thought that's that's a pretty good soccer player for a kid who's never played. You know? Although I do I do wonder if Tyree Brown in real life was a good soccer player or if they just shot those scenes like very smartly so that it looked like he was really because he seemed great like he seemed you know, to have natural ability you just play the right pearl jam song in the background and then <laughs> you just believe you know you just believe tell the other kids not to get in his way <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was watching that though and thinking can you imagine being like the director no, of I a know. scene where you, <laughs> you have to shoot 20 or 30 kids and a ball yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I've watched one child soccer matcher in my life, and it requires the patience of Job to get through it. <laughs> and so hats off to, to everyone involved, I say. You know, I got to mention this little moment that I just thought was so funny. I, I, didn't, I It was just in the background. But at the end of the game where they win... I don't know if you noticed this, but Julia lifts up Jabbar the way yes. they do in like sports movies. But then she doesn't know what to do with yes, Jabbar. The kids, are, <laughs> the kids are not big enough that we can, they can all like hoist him up. And she couldn't like really put him on her shoulders or anything. So she just lifted him up and then put him back down. <laughs> I thought it was awkward. It was strange. Yeah. And it was almost like he was too heavy for her or something. Like she was like, never mind. Uh, down. Yeah, it just, I don't know. It was was great. And it felt, I didn't, it didn't bother me at all though, because it was one of those things that didn't make it feel like a TV show. It made it feel like life in life. Someone would think, oh, I'm going to make this like a cinematic moment. And then they're like, oh no, this doesn't work in real life. What do you do? (laughs) I also noted that little Brian, who was doing the dance in the circle, is a better dancer than I will ever be. (laughs) 
<laughs> it was fantastic. And his little bow at the end was so cute. Oh, it was cute. Sort of folded in to that storyline is Jasmine and Crosby's burgeoning relationship. Did I use mm-hmm. that word correctly? Yes, yeah. Did I pronounce it correctly? Uh, yeah, yeah. Is it a harder G? Burge? I don't know, whatever. Um, That's, you said it how I say it, so if you're wrong, I'm wrong. Okay. You jump, okay. I jump, Jack. <laughs> and so Jasmine thinks maybe they need to stop fooling around. And by the end of the episode, Crosby sets her straight. It's uh, it's not fooling around. Hmm? What we've been doing, that's... It's not fooling around. I've done a lot of research on that topic, and I want to be with you, Jasmine. Crosby, you've been through a lot with your parents and everything tonight. Let's just give us some time. Let's see. Now, I thought Crosby is being very sweet, and I thought Jasmine was being very wise. (laughs) And then right after that, she just invites him to stay over anyway. I'm like, is that taking it slow? Is that waiting and seeing? Because I, you know, and maybe it's fine. I would just think when there's a child involved, you know, you guys have to be able to co-parent no matter what happens. And the kid has feelings invested in each parent. If they're not getting along and then the kid's relationship suffers, that's not fair to him. It just seems like Jasmine is the voice of reason here, the experienced parent who says we have to prioritize him. But then she didn't take her own advice, I felt like. You know, I looked at the whole storyline maybe differently because it was framed around we, you know, shouldn't tell Jabbar yet. And I I think that's part of it. I do. But I also think that Jasmine maybe partly said we should stop fooling around Maybe because she was getting invested a little bit, you know, and people are vulnerable in relationships and sometimes they're not sure what they are to each other. And I think she maybe thought genuinely that Crosby really did consider this just fooling around. Mm -hmm. We talked about last episode, the way he uh, says to her after they have sex for the first time, you know, in five years, uh, he says, that was fun. You know, that's very casual, that sentiment. And so I think maybe she was like, if we're just fooling around, let's not upset our son. And so when Crosby says, this isn't fooling around, I want to be with you. I think even though she's like, oh, we should take it slow. I think it's probably what she wanted to hear. You know, I think it was also probably like, oh, this means more. So maybe it's not so bad if you stay over. You know, Jafar wants you to anyway. (laughs) I don't know. I agree it's probably not wise, but. That's a good point, though. I wasn't, I didn't pick up on that as much, but I think you're totally right. Well, yeah, I think she was definitely trying to figure out where do we stand. He was maybe a little surprised that he was hurt. She said they're fooling around. Like, he seemed a little like, what? Is that what you think it is? Small note. Um, this is silly, probably. But, um, you know, Jason Kadams d- uh, did Friday Night Lights as well. And there is almost a direct parallel to the beginning of the episode where uh, Jabbar is like knocking on the door and they're scrambling around getting dressed and Crosby just like rolls out the window. That happens with Tim Riggins and his next door neighbor, who is a single mom. And so they're oh, secretly sleeping right. together. Yeah. <laughs> and and he does the exact same thing and like falls out the window. And I thought, wow, that must just be. <laughs> and do little old ladies walking by notice him? Now that I, I don't actually remember. It's been a little bit, but I can't remember. But I do know that Tim Riggins was. 
<laughs> I know they were so cute. They were adorable. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say, I do know that Tim Riggins was probably supposed to be a senior that first year, but then they retconned his age uh, so that he could just keep being in high school and on the show. And so it turns out he graduates like two years after he has an affair with a middle-aged woman who lives next door. So I'm like, was he 15? Anyway, that's so not the point, but whatever. But I did think it was kind of interesting that there was like a total parallel. I liked the ladies on the sidewalk. And then they never actually said anything. They just were sort of like staring at him like, (laughs) yeah, you just got your shoes thrown at you. (laughs) They've all been there. They've all thrown a few shoes in their past. They know what's up. <laughs> oh, and before we move on to other things, we have to talk about the like brainwashing of Crosby telling Jabbar that this is just a dream. What did you think that was messed up or funny or both? Oh. I guess if I think about it for any length of time, it is kind of messed up. But in the moment, I just thought it was funny. Mostly I thought it was funny that Crosby thought that would work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, are you tired right now? It's because you're sleeping. Yeah, and, it's cause, and it didn't seem to me like Jabbar was even really buying it. No, it seemed no. like he was humoring him. Like, oh, this is what you want me to do. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think Jabbar was so cute in that scene. It was like so cute. He's cute in every scene. He's adorable. When they're putting him into bed and he has his little hands folded under his cheek, I just Aww. like he looks like a little angel. Yes. Yeah. They say good night, Pele. Yes, that made me laugh. That was good. Well, let's move over to the teenage love triangle that (gasps) is Hattie, Amber, and Steve. Felt like we were on the CW for a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny. My husband walked through um, and watched part of this episode, and he was like, oh, on a lesser show, then that Amber and and Steve, something would happen there. And I'm like, oh, dear, something does. (laughs) 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 He knows his TV. I hardly ever notice stuff like this. But in that very first scene in like the clubhouse at the golf course or country club, wherever they were, I really liked the green dress that Hattie was wearing. Mm. And I really loved the little updo that Amber had behind the counter. Yeah. It's like, oh. Our little teenagers are looking great in this episode. They're both really beautiful. Yes, and they, they are. both are beautiful in ways that like look like real teenage girls, mm-hmm. you know? Like I, I really love they're they're both like kind of natural. I mean, it's funny to say that about Amber because she wears like lots of makeup, but she's really herself. You know, they're both who they are. They're not, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Pretty. I also like that they seem to like each other. Yeah. Even though they are very different. And I especially feel like Amber could easily have a chip on her shoulder about girls like Hattie who like seemingly have so many advantages. But it seems like she either genuinely likes her cousin or she at least like cuts her a break. It didn't seem like they were just being nice to each other because they're supposed to. It's like, oh, no, they have like a rapport there. Yeah. Which, which is probably just so that they can rip our hearts out later, you know? Like, if they don't like each other, then the storyline doesn't have any impact. But no, I I do genuinely love that they get along. Because they, yeah, they would be in different social groups. They'd be in different classes. We already mm-hmm. know that because, uh, you know, yeah, Hattie's Amber's a year in, like, older, right? I think so. But and, and Hattie's in AP classes and, you know, they're just, they probably wouldn't even know each other if they yeah. weren't cousins. So, well... Hattie and Steve break up. I don't want to force you into anything that you don't want to do. I love you. I'm sorry for being weird tonight. No, that's, that's cool. We can, uh, we can try for next week. 
that's what we talked about. You said you indicated. Are you telling me that I led you on? No, no, I'm saying, I'm saying I care about you. So whenever you're ready, I'll wait. Steve. What? I, I'm not going to just, like, ripen like a piece of fruit. That's not what I'm saying. I don't, I don't think that this whole thing is working. What whole thing? What are you talking about? Like us. Why would you even say that? I mean, you're just upset, obviously, right now. And, I'm uh, upset. I'm not just upset. So one minute we're going from almost having sex to, what, a breakup? Steve. What is your Steve, deal? okay, listen, I care about you. I really do, a lot. I just, I, I feel like this is what I have to do right now. Well, I would have liked to have been at the table read when she got her line to say, I'm not going to ripen like a piece of fruit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she was like, how am I going to do this? Okay. <laughs> Thank you for uh, that. <laughs> now, are you saying, do you think that's like a corny line or like a great line? No, I thought it was not a great line and she did a great job with it. But I okay. like, it was like, if I saw that on paper, I'd be like, Seriously? Like, <laughs> is this, this is how the 16 year old has to talk to her 16 year old boyfriend? Like, really? Oh my God. That's, but that's she funny. did it well. She did it well. But I would have been like, oh, I don't think teenagers talk like that. It was interesting. I think I had the absolute opposite reaction to this whole storyline than I did the first two times I watched it. I remember the first two times I watched it, I thought Hattie was making a mistake breaking up with Steve. I was like, you love him, obviously. And really? I, the first time. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah, I did. I thought that, I thought maybe she was almost testing him too. Like, like I think she didn't really want to break up with him. And she was just saying these things like almost they were a couple in one of the movies she loved and she was rehearsing her lines. And, you know, I don't know. It was weird. But then this time I'm like, oh, he's clearly pressuring her. She's clearly doing the right thing. I'm very glad she's breaking up with him. He is a stupid cliche, as she tells Amber later. And so it was it was weird that I ever saw it differently. I just thought, wow, you're jumping to, to breaking up so fast. That's what I used to think. And this time I'm like, yeah, that's what you do if someone pressures you. I, I don't know what my problem is, but I think that maybe in the last few years, I've just become a little bit more in tune with the ways manipulation can look. You know, Steve is acting like he's being all nice and he's not manipulating her, but he is. And so I think, I think maybe I kind of fell for it a little bit before mm. and yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't love how he was like, it's cool. We'll just do it next week. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, mm, I'm not sure that that's really how it works. Yeah, Why? that's not what she was telling you. That's yeah. not what she was saying. Uh, yeah, I also, I really did love, I'm upset. I'm not just upset. Yeah. Yeah. Good I for really her. I really admired her, how she handled everything in this scene. Saying what's actually on your mind in a yeah. situation like that is not easy. And when you're no. 15 years old, I think their communication was not great. Because sure. I think in some sense, I do think she jumped right to breaking up when perhaps she didn't either didn't have to or I'm not sure that's exactly what she wanted. And she just felt uncomfortable and was like, how do I get out of this? Break up. 
Mm-hmm. I think there's nothing wrong with that at all. Better that than you do something yeah. you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If the temperature on the whole thing was able to just be turned down, if their communication was just better, and if he would listen, then she might have been able to articulate exactly where she was, that it wasn't like, hey, it's, I'm not saying I ever want to do this with you. Just not now. Let's take it off the table for a bit. And when I say take it off the table, I don't mean we'll try next week. Right. If you keep saying stuff like that to me, we're not going to work out. But man, 15 years old, that is that is asking an awful lot. You know, and, and how good can communication be when you're figuring yeah. out these things and hormones? And like, it's, it's hard. It's hard as adults, I think, to talk about things like sex or about, you know, your needs. You know, I, I think oh, that's that's asking an awful lot for teenagers. Yeah, yeah. not to like go there too much, but like do girls always have to be the breaks? you know like I think like we give teenage girls that message all the time like it's kind of like up to you to put the brakes on boys are just horny you know whatever like you gotta figure it out so I kind of love that she was like abort the whole situation like yeah (laughs) yeah which I think would be really hard and I I thought she did it very well yeah and I also I don't necessarily think he was manipulating her to like say a little bit of defense for him. I think he was rehearsing the lines that he sort of imagined were his Mm. lines. And I think he does kind of say that later in the episode. I also noted in the scene that he said, I love you. And then later on in the scene, she said, I care about you. Mm. So I think maybe they're just not in the same place in any way. Or he said that just so that they could have sex, which if that's the case, that's really not cool. No. And then, They had that little moment of Adam peeking through the curtains. And I really felt awful for her in that moment. If he knew what she had just done, I think he would have been rightly super proud of her. Yeah. Yeah. But because he's kind of demonstrated that he doesn't trust her. It's like, I don't think she's ever going to tell you what she just did. Yeah. And then thus you won't know how much you actually can trust her. And this vicious cycle will just continue. (laughs) Yeah. But when Hattie tells Amber what is going on in the situation, I thought Amber was actually very sweetly supportive in her way. So you broke up with him? Basically. It was like I wasn't even with a person anymore. I was with a stupid cliche. David, I'm so sorry. But believe me, if there's one thing I know, you don't want to cash in your V-chip with a cliche or a jerk or a douche. So I guess that rules out Steve. You did the right thing for Charmin. Really? 100%. Okay. Thank you. Shall we? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, I think that was such a supportive, kind reaction. It was wonderful, but it's exactly what Hattie's going to return to, you know, like if things keep going down this road that they seem to be going down, that, you know, of course Hattie would feel betrayed replaying the advice that Amber gave her. Um, and which, by the way, I should I should make clear, I don't think Amber's pretending there. I think she's genuinely being a good friend and a good cousin. I don't think that she's like a mastermind behind this whole thing. I, I, I think she means it. When you do something like that as a teenager, you want someone to tell you you did the right thing. So it was nice to have her cousin be like, that was the right choice. It's okay. Well, she starts talking to Steve at the club where she now suddenly has a job. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. I never saw her get or anything. Just the story demanded it. So she's there. And he reveals that his dad has MS, which I took special note of because my mom has MS. 
and I, you know, when Amber mentions the thing about the horses, I had never heard about that until Mitt Romney ran for president and his wife, Anne, had MS. Well, has, still has MS, of course. And she rode horses a lot because wow. of her MS, they said. That's so interesting. Yeah, I never heard about that. You know, that conversation that Amber and Steve have, I think that's why I had such a different opinion of this storyline the last time I watched the show. My mom's kind of crazy-ish, and my dad really wasn't around very much, so I guess you just kind of have to figure stuff out for yourself when you're raised like that, you know? So, what about your parents? What are they like? Um, they're pretty normal, and there's my dad actually as we speak. Really? That's them? Um, actually, yeah, this, this last year my dad got um, diagnosed with MS. Really? Uh, yeah. I'm so sorry. I never really told anyone that, but... Yeah. I'll keep it a secret. It's okay. Did you see him limping? I can't tell. No? Do you know what I read? Hmm. I read that um, people with MS sometimes like to go horseback riding, I guess, because it, like... Stimulates their really? muscles or something. Well, I don't know. I don't, that's cool. I, I don't think he'll be going horseback riding anytime soon. But that's well, it was worth a shot. Yeah, no thanks. Previously, I thought that they had this connection that he really never had with Hattie, and just like almost immediately, you know, they're talking about real things and not kind of arguing about love, actually, you know, and <laughs> and we see just this much deeper relationship, and so I think. I used to even just think, this is okay because they're connecting. And this time I felt totally differently. I was like, what a betrayal that they're even talking to each other right now. I thought, if, if he's feeling this way, why doesn't he just go talk to Hattie? You know, I, I don't know. And I thought she maybe shouldn't be talking to her cousin's ex about her. So I don't know. I feel like I saw it totally differently. And I'm so curious what you two thought. I had a little bit of like, oh, teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> I, was a bit, I was just a little bit like Amber, just, you know, like kind of like you said, like, don't go over there. Just don't start this, you know? Yeah. But then I also felt like she was being so nice to him and it's not like she knows a ton of people yet there or has like true. great friendships. And I was like, well, maybe they are just connecting as friends, but kind of like you, I was kind of like danger, danger. <laughs> <laughs> like, Don't do this. I took note at the end of the storyline, I said, in one sense, I don't think Amber's done anything wrong. Like Hattie and Steve are not together anymore. There's no overlap. Amber didn't tell Hattie to break up with him. And she didn't tell her that she made the right choice. Like you said, you know, she wasn't just saying that because she wanted him for herself. And yet the whole thing is just totally wrong. And Amber clearly knows it. Well, she keeps saying that. Yeah. 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 And so that to me, and then she just does it anyway. And I I did ask myself, like, why is her self-esteem that low? Or does she genuinely like him so much, so fast? Or is there a thrill? You know, like he says she does bad things. Or maybe she says that. I I forget. She says. Oh, he says she's honest. Yeah, because they're dancing. Because I thought this was such a really interesting scene. And he was like, see, this isn't so bad. And she says, I think it's pretty bad. And he's like, that's what I like about you. And she's like, that I do bad things. Yeah. And he says, no, that you're honest. And I thought, oh, man, that's a really good scene, I got to say, because yeah. I think she's probably nervous that people like her because she does bad things or whatever. You know, she she's like oh, yeah. the bad girl, you know, and I like that she is relieved that, no, it's not that I do bad things. It's that I'm, I, t- I tell the truth. 
And I mean, I don't know, this may sound messed up, but in a way, I think she's almost more honest than Hattie because while Hattie breaks up with Steve and, and is advocating for herself, and that's good, she doesn't give in to pressure, I think she doesn't quite tell Steve exactly what she's thinking. I don't know. Like, she breaks up with him rather than have the difficult conversation. I think Amber's just that much older and maybe that much more sure of herself that she has, you know, harder conversations. They do go a little bit deeper, you know? I mean, how many times has Hattie met Steve's dad and doesn't know that he has MS because he says he's never told anyone that? And unless that's a line to Amber, and it might be, I thought, But I think it also might just be indicative of how he and Hattie are just not connecting on yeah. any yeah. level. And it maybe doesn't even necessarily have to do with anyone's like maturity. Oh yeah. Because I mean, Amber it knows she's doing something bad and she does it anyway. That's pretty immature. That's true. But I, I do agree with you though, that I feel like they're connecting on a deeper level. And you know, like I feel like he even recognizes that and says it, you know, like I feel more in the moment with you. I have that clip as well. And I also like it just because I think sad guy sandwich is funny. (laughs) (laughs) She's so funny. What can I get for you? Sad guy sandwich? Really, you look like I'm going to have to fish you out of the pond later. No. You okay? Hey, you're not going to believe this, though. What? My dad was was interested in the whole horseback riding thing. You're kidding? Uh Uh-huh. That's so cool and weird. (laughs) (laughs) I've been thinking about this whole thing with... um, with Hattie. Yeah? I was a real jerk. Really? How? I, I feel like I kept making appointments to, with her to lose my virginity. You're a virgin? Can you try me now, please? Yeah. That'd be, that'd be awesome. We have a very strict no virgins policy oh, here. Is it? Oh, really? <laughs> I'll, I'll leave soon. <laughs> So, what else? You know, that whole thing you said about, you know, feeling in the moment. I wasn't feeling in the moment at all. Why would she? Thought you were the guy. Can't you just feel in the moment whenever you want? What I'm feeling now isn't what I was feeling with her. And I just thought that was really interesting to get his perspective on it because I think he and Hattie probably just were a mismatch because we never saw this kind of honesty or vulnerability from him with her. And then we are clearly seeing it with Amber. Mm -hmm. And I I thought if he had been that vulnerable with Hattie, then I think they might've navigated things easier, but for whatever reason, he didn't feel he could be. And a little more defensive boys for just a little bit. (laughs) Cause I read this book earlier this year called boys and sex about young men and their attitudes towards sex And they, at least according to like survey data, they are just as interested in having an emotional connection with their sexual partners as girls are. The only difference is they feel that they cannot reveal that to anyone. Mm. I believe that. I believe that too. Yeah. And that I feel like is horrible for them. And then it ends up being horrible for the girls too. Right. Because they often don't even reveal it to their partners. Mm. And I think that his earlier scene with Hattie he wasn't revealing any of that to her. All that was coming across was, whenever we can have sex, that's going to be great. (laughs) It's like, no, it's not exactly the message she's looking to get from you. Yeah. Also, like, how excellent is Mae Whitman? Oh, Oh, my God. She's She's so so good. good. 
like all these little scenes I'm like they're just sort of simple but she makes them like so much more and I also feel like he I mean like he's not around very much in the series even though he's been in several episodes he comes across so much better opposite her well that that says something about her as an actress probably yeah, they have good little scenes. They're like just little scenes, but they stood out, I feel like. I think that's why I always used to totally kind of almost ship them, which sounds terrible, but I, w- I I really liked Amber and Steve in a way that I never cared about Hattie and, and Steve because they were just kind of there for jokes, you know, to piss Adam off and for him to be too familiar and call him Adam. And, you well, know. and yet you thought that Hattie loved Steve and that they shouldn't have broken up? Huh, you know what? That's a good point. You're a mass of contradictions. I am, you know, do I contradict myself very well then? <laughs> I, I, I contain multitudes. Um, no, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think that Hattie has real feelings for him. It's like the first person that she's ever had real feelings for. I don't know if I would call that love, but I bet if I were her age in that situation, I would call it love. And I think what I was questioning before is, she still has those feelings. So I wondered if breaking up was the right choice because I wondered if they couldn't have navigated this. Because even though I think he was being a a cliche and a jerk in that car, I don't think that's everything he is. You know, I don't think that he's just this one dimensional, horrible guy. I think he was behaving horribly. And now, of course, we're seeing this other side. And I'm curious, like, is the reason we're seeing the other side because he and Amber just have this deeper connection and he could never have had that with with Hattie like like you said they're a mismatch or is it that they just didn't let themselves get to that point you know maybe the whole reason Steve is opening up is because he has been hurt you know by Hattie that's a really good point yeah and so like that's interesting and you know and when he said I've been thinking about Hattie and how I was a jerk this is the first time it occurred to me, this watch, that I was like, well, why are you telling Amber that? You should go tell Hattie that. (laughs) Just say, I'm sorry, I was a jerk to you. And instead, it makes me wonder if this isn't a line. I mean, I think he's also being true. I mean, and I I loved everything you said, Caleb, about boys and emotional connection. I think that's true. I don't think it's 100% a line. But I do wonder if he's already now thinking of, well, I couldn't have sex with Hattie. I can with Amber. Am I being unfair by, by wondering? that but that 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 is something I'm wondering I don't know I thought it was like pretty self-aware to be like turns out I was trying to schedule losing my virginity I'm like I don't even know if some teenage boys would articulate that teenagers in general girls or boys would be like actually I was just trying to schedule this I think like that takes some self-awareness to even be able to like get to that point but you're right maybe he gave the apology to the wrong person or maybe he finally felt like she could hear it maybe he didn't feel like comfortable enough to talk that way around Hattie. Like for some reason he can be more vulnerable with Amber. Mm. I will say that our conversation about this very storyline reiterates to me that it is such a good storyline because there are so many shades of gray. Like, I don't think it's simple. Uh, and, and you know, to take it back to that comment that my husband made when he was like, a lesser show wouldn't have <laughs> done that. I, I agree mostly that it's a little bit predictable. You can kind of, you know, see it. But the way they play it isn't predictable at all. You know, like it's, and it's like yeah, Mae Whitman's performance and, and just the way it's written. I like that they bond over Steve revealing something personal about himself. It is just a really, really complicated storyline. 
And I like that the teenagers get such a complicated storyline. I really do. I agree. One comment about the writing, though, not to be like to poo poo on anything, but I felt like Amber and Steve's first scene felt largely improv, but mm. not in a good way. Oh, <laughs> it felt the sad I mean, sandwich one? The, no, the one that was like, are you feeling more heartbroken or more rejected? Oh, like, right. What? Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was a very inarticulate point. And then he's like, wow, you're so smart. I'm like, I can't understand what she just said. So <laughs> That's the part know. that made me think you guys shouldn't even be talking because it was entirely about Hattie. So it's not like I think I don't I don't think I'm like a prude and I think people shouldn't talk. But like, I just thought, why are you guys bonding over? Well, are you feeling more heartbroken about the breakup with my cousin? I'm like, oh, <laughs> why are you? True. Yeah, That's I'm true. like, why are you talking about Hattie and her feelings? You should be team Hattie. I don't know. Like that was yeah, it just felt that was when it kind of occurred to me, like, this is maybe a betrayal already. Um, She wouldn't be comfortable with this, I don't think, like being dissected in a way. Um, I have a quibble with the writing. Are you ready? Yeah. Uh, It was the very first scene where all three of them were together and, um, you know, she was like giving them the beer or whatever. Hattie's like, we're going to go have a picnic on the golf course and she's like that means sex but like her proof was that there was a blanket in his tote or whatever and I'm like well how the hell do you have a picnic you use a blanket blankets are part of picnicking and sex I, I don't know same thing, Melissa. I was did. like well, I don't have a sex on every blanket I bring in the car I mean like, no like there are times for blankets and there are times for sex and they don't always overlap right I mean I loved how that line was delivered she's like yeah that's a blanket in that bag. <laughs> you know, I loved that. That's so Incontrovertible proof. <laughs> but I thought that is, that is picnicking attire. Like that Aww. checks out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's putting a blanket in that basket. She was very like. Is that a blanket in your bag? You or better get it ready. <laughs> I also especially liked um, that they were dancing to James Ingram's Just Once. I like that song. And it was uh, uh, written by Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil. I share a birthday with Barry Mann. <laughs> just putting that I, out there. Putting that Trivia. Out there. <laughs> I just loved the the whole 80s, like, was yes. that a party? Like, I don't, I, I loved the whole, like, there was a guy dressed just like Slash. I thought, what attention to detail. It was very <laughs> fun. Um, and the come on, Eileen, that was good. Yeah. Kudos, costume department. <laughs> yes. Well, let's go on, if we've said all we need to say, to the Sarah storyline and then kind of broader into the Zeke and Camille stuff. The first thing I noticed is that Sarah says she's taking a Photoshop class. And the end of the previous episode, Amber said to Sarah, don't give up on yourself. And so I took that as like Sarah was inspired by her daughter to take a class. And uh, I thought that was nice. Yeah. I also loved, you know, when she confronts Zeke about the cufflinks and then Camille overhears them, the little wink that he gives mm. to her when she tell, makes up that lie, I thought was just like unbearably cute. It was really cute. You know, my husband was also in the room for that part and he made an interesting observation when Sarah mentions the cufflinks and he's like, well, where'd you see them? And she said a pawn shop. And he's like, what were you doing at a pawn shop? And my husband said, that feels a little gaslighty, you know, like just a little like, like, why were you even there? You know, like that's the issue we should be focusing on instead of 
why you saw them there. I don't know, like, because then he goes on, of course, to lie. And it just felt like he was trying to make her feel weird about even having been there. But maybe that's, I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting comment that I don't think I would have thought of, but I was glad he brought it up because I thought, yeah, he got very defensive and started to be like, well, why were you there? Well, knowing that he did go to the pawn shop, I think that's (laughs) definitely what he's doing. Or not necessarily trying to gaslight her, but like, oh, I didn't think anyone would catch me. And it seems Mm. like you have caught me. What were you doing there? Yeah. And yet, if, if not for that, I wouldn't think that was necessarily a gaslighty comment because is she someone that goes to pawn shops regularly? Mm, You know, like if I told someone, hey, I saw a hat that looked just like yours in this fishing store. I think a logical (laughs) question would be, what were you doing at a fishing store? Because I never go there. I would ask you that, Caleb. Thank you. So you really know. Good next time, Caleb. If you are get up to mischief in a yes. fishing store, I was, even, I was like trying to think of a name of a place that I can't even. So clearly, that's where I hang out as well. Bass Pro. No, I'm, Wait, I was that like, yeah, that, yeah, there's a good one, Bass Pro. Now I'm picturing the hat you'd be wearing that you got at the fishing shop. <laughs> it's got lures all over it in my mind. You know, it's like feathers. It's a good look for you, Caleb. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I gotta I get mean, back out on the water. He totally was probably like, what did you do? Are you in financial trouble? Like, there's probably part of him that was a little like, what's going on with you? Since they kind of consider her the screw up at this point still, I feel like. <laughs> That's true. You yeah. know, like, what did you need to go? Like, was she pawning something? Like, what? Oh, yeah. You know what? Well, she was That's looking true. for a computer and they bought her a car. And then at the end of this episode, they revealed that they bought her a computer, too. I'm like, aren't they having money problems? <laughs> Maybe this is why. Like, it's so partly. sweet. And I'm like, man, I should just move in with my parents or they're going to buy me everything I need. Anyway, I, I loved this first little scene between Sarah and Camille. I think you're afraid of trying. Now I'm afraid of trying? You always said in high school I was afraid of failing. <laughs> I mean, which is it? It's your life. Well, I'm just saying, Mom, you know, what do you know about failure? I'm acquainted with failure. No, mom, real failure. Not like, oh, my organic pastry dough didn't rise. I mean, real failure. Sure you don't need anything? Hey, mom, just kidding. I know. I thought that was such a well-acted scene. I thought Camille was like MVP of this already great episode. And I don't know if like hearing the clip does it justice because it's so much like her physical acting after Sarah makes that joke about, I mean, real failure. She looks so hurt. So hurt. That was such a mean line. It was like so, and she just delivered it so flippantly that it, you could see how much it wounded her. It was terrible in the best way. I was like, oh, I felt so bad for Camille. I just was like, her organic pastry dough, like you mean ungrateful daughter. Well, and it felt like you said, like it was so flippant. I was kind of blindsided by yes. it. You know, I wasn't expecting something so hurtful. And yet I totally believe that Sarah didn't you know, it wasn't premeditated. It, she no. That's not what she was trying to say. But she did kind of just say, you know, Mom, you haven't achieved anything ever and you've never even tried. It's kind of the subtext huh. of what that's she was not... saying. Like, wow. you, you, you haven't failed because you've never done anything. Interestingly, that is not how I took it. But now I'm wondering if that was the... I think you might have it right. 
I was taking it as like, Sarah is so um, insecure and compares herself so unfavorably to like everyone around her that I took it as the same way she's really jealous of Julia, you know, insecure about her, that maybe she also is insecure about her mother and like her mother is so together and so accomplished that like you haven't experienced real failure like I have, like I have a, you know, broken marriage and I married a drug addict. What, what are the stakes for you? You have this organic pastry dough didn't rise because your life is so perfect. Like that's how I looked at it. But man, it's even Well, meaner. you know, maybe we are just articulating the misunderstanding that they experienced. Oh, yeah. Maybe yeah, yeah. you're saying what Sarah said, and I'm saying what Camille heard. Oh. Oh, yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, because I think, because I think be Sarah's sitting in that place of like, everything has gone wrong for me. Everything goes right for you. Like, what do you have to be upset about? Your dough didn't rise? But see, even that, I feel like there's an implication there of like so your mean. biggest problems in your life are dough. Right. Meaning your life is so small and oh Yeah, that's true. Right. Yes. Hmm. I've, I thought meaning everything falls into place. You've raised kids beautifully. You're married. And, you know, obviously we haven't gotten the big reveal at the end yet, or else she might have been a little bit more... Um, Gentle. You know, gentle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, this this discussion of failure also brought to mind something I love. You know, people often talk about the benefits of failure and what you learn from it. But I also love, maybe just because I have this like contrarian streak in me, I love Nora Ephron's views on failure. One of the things that you always hope you will get from any kind of failure, whether it's a movie that didn't work or or a marriage that doesn't work, is a lesson. You know, yeah. um, people are always writing books about growth yes. through failure. Yes. And <laughs> I don't actually think, I think that one of the worst things about failure is that you don't learn the lesson you would like to learn, which is how to never have another failure again. This is, this is what we really want. No one is interested in failure having once had it. Do you learn more from failure than success, which is the age-old question? I don't think, all I think you learn from failure, honest to God, is that it's entirely possible you could have another one. <laughs> I don't, honestly, I don't, I don't think you get much more than that. You can get a bad lesson from it, which is that you might think it's not worth trying to do whatever it was you did in the first place. But the last thing you want to learn from a failure is is to be reluctant to to get back up on whatever metaphor you want to get back up on the horse or the bicycle or whatever. <laughs> wow. I just think it's such a refreshing take. And I think sometimes there's pressure when you experience failure to find the lesson, to find the you know silver lining. But when you're in it, it certainly doesn't feel good. And so maybe I just like that it kind of lets you off the hook when you're in the depths of those feelings. Hmm. With me, when I fail, sometimes it's like a lesson didn't go well with uh, like a teaching, you know, in a class. And often it's because I thought I had prepared sufficiently, but maybe I didn't. And so then I prepare extra hard for the next class. And then usually it goes much, much better. So that's a very small example. But I feel like I almost always do learn from that failure. You know, it's like, oh, I wasn't prepared enough. Prepare more. But I guess what Sarah's talking about is a much bigger failure, not a 45-minute lesson that didn't go so well or pastry dough that didn't rise or what have you. But like, 
what if you married the wrong person? Or what if you didn't have enough faith in yourself to get a college degree back when you would have wanted one? And now you're like feeling dumb because you're almost 40 and you're, you're catching up now. You know, all the thoughts that maybe she's having about herself. Um, yeah, what lesson is there other than feeling like, oh, I must have wasted time. Like, and, and I don't feel any of this, but I'm trying to be in her mindset. I don't know. I thought her, like, when she said, you're afraid of trying, afraid of failing, I was like, in my mind, I was like, it's kind of the same. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, this is really the same thing. It might be that you're not starting something because you're afraid of it failing, which I think was the motherly advice she was just trying to impart. And Sarah got super defensive really quick, right? You know, just because of the place in life she is. I think, you know, going off of, like, what Nora Ephron said, the only thing you learn is that you could have another failure. I think sort of the the other side of that coin or I don't know if that's the right metaphor, but bicycle horse yeah, you know? <laughs> wrapped up within that idea of you could have another failure. I think maybe the best lesson you learn from failure is life goes on. It yeah, doesn't. Yeah, yes, yeah. So, yeah, don't be so afraid of failing that you don't try again. You know, like if you had a bad marriage or two, that doesn't mean don't get married. The fear of it not working out. That's always a possibility uh, or you know, a job, a class, a profession, whatever. It can happen. You'll be okay, even if it totally fails. Like you've survived all your bad days so far, you know? Yeah. We're still yeah. here. <laughs> okay, so this is cheesy, but I I don't usually love inspirational posters that teachers hang up. I usually scoff at those and think they're dumb. But one of my coworkers has one outside of his door. And every time I pass it, I'm like, that's deep, man. That's deep. And it's, I never lose. I win or I learn. <laughs> I don't know. But that's like a direct affront to what, you know, Nora Ephron said. <laughs> but I guess I buy it. Well, into she's it. not saying you don't learn anything. She's just saying you learn one thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, maybe Nora Ephron is wrong. Oh, but she's always right. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Sarah, this is a very small thing. But in the scene where she's at the shoe factory with Adam, I wrote down, is this how shoes work at that company? You can just indiscriminately grab whatever you want. Yeah, that was so and, random. And give it to your sibling. <laughs> Don't pay for it or anything. It's like, how do you stay solvent? <laughs> You're just handing away merchandise to your friends. <laughs> and like not cataloging it at all. It's like, is someone going to think that that shoe is missing or no? Yes. The Adam's sister yes. has it. <laughs> like, there's no record of that. No, somebody got in trouble for that later. They didn't know the boss grabbed it off the shelf. <laughs> yeah. Also, she says, oh, do you have that in eight and a half? But all there are are boxes. I'm like, what did she see that she liked? It's not like there's shoes out. That's a good point. Do you have that orange box in an eight and a half? (laughs) Anyway, she, uh, they, all the siblings get together to discuss these financial problems they realize they have. Every time. Yeah, it made me realize it's been a while since we've had just a sibling scene. In the first one, when they're in the house, two things I liked, two small things. Crosby at one point says, is dad going to have to get a job? And I know we've been wondering, what is his line of work? Retired. Just the, the way Crosby says it. Yeah, he's retired. From what? But yeah, we still don't know from what. Um, And then I also loved in that scene, at least on the DVD subtitles, once the arguing overlapped to a certain degree, the subtitle just said in all caps, all arguing. (laughs) That seems like all you need to know. It's like whoever's transcribing this just gave up. Like, I can't hear. (laughs) That's one thing I do love about this show is I feel like the conversation overlaps are so natural. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do too. They're written well and the actors do them well and it's very just like... It's kind of how life happens. 
People start talking over each other. We had a guest on here. I, was it maybe Aaron? Somebody hated that. They're like, everyone it. pipe down. I'm trying <laughs> to hear what's happening and I can't. But I've always loved it. it. It's always felt very natural to me. And so I've always been a fan of that. Well, and one thing that's nice about it is I, I get her point that sometimes if it, it can be hard to hear. Sure. But rarely do I think there's like necessary information Correct. that gets covered up. And then one thing I like, especially rewatching it now in such vigorous detail, <laughs> is that you'll hear things you never heard before. It's like, for oh. instance, we get not one, but two sibling scenes in this episode. The second one is when they're in the car. I loved it. And the there was a line scene. Crosby says, <laughs> where he says, my back and knees don't know you're older. <laughs> and uh, I had never heard it before, but here's that scene. This is the worst, Adam. It sounds like Dr. Phil wrote this. We love you, Dad. You've always been there for us, and we want you to know we're here for you unconditionally. That sounds good. Brainstorm. It's a lame brainstorm. The sentiment correctly. You want to read it? You think it's the sentiment? Can I read it? Don't worry about it. You misspelled unconditionally. You know what, Sarah? You misspelled unconditionally. Yeah, you do. It says unconditionally. Can we take this seriously? You shouldn't be giving Crosby lines. You're not taking this seriously. I could do this much better. Okay. We love you, Nelly. Hey, when I bring up the economy, just. Follow my lead. Okay, okay? good. Okay. Wait, economy's the, the cue. cue has to but right? listen, okay. before we take off, why do you guys get to sit up front? Oh my well, let's deal with that. He is taller than either of you. Do you hear, Julia? Yeah, I'm considerably taller you. than you, Sarah. You've always been taller than us, and we've okay. always been older than you. And the one thing we get is to sit up in the front. But you, you know, know what? Guys, tonight, we're late we're late already. Already. you know what? You know what? We're late already. We're late already. Wait, we're late already. Listen, my back and knees. We're late already. Can we get back in the car? Can we just be related on this? Fine, but I'm not saying unconditionally. I love that he doesn't say unconditionally. He says totally, totally. and that and then <laughs> glares at Adam. <laughs> then Adam says unconditionally. Yeah, yes! like yeah, that's what that means. And Sarah looks at him like you messed it all up. I also love when he starts to bring up the economy right before he does it. Sarah is looking at him. And it's like she's about to watch a car accident happen in slow yes. motion. Yes. She's like, are you really good? Are you oh really doing God, it? You're doing it this way. Um, oh, but anyway, yeah, that's I love the, the way, so the way he says economy. He's like, the economy. Like, you, <laughs> <laughs> family. Yes. Uh, but back to that car scene for just a second. I, I thought maybe I'm reading too much into this, but... Sarah being the only one taking Zeke's financial troubles seriously, it felt to me like she's maybe the only sibling who's really faced similar frightening financial circumstances. I mean, like even Crosby, he's not reliable or responsible with money, but he was always around his parents and Mm -hmm. just like leaned on them. Sarah was off on Mm -hmm. her own, probably facing real scary financial things. And it seemed like she was just approaching everything more soberly than everyone yeah. else. It almost seemed like a game to the other three. Even Adam, who I think was definitely coming from a very... Adam, like, wanted to... He, like, wanted to fix it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Sarah seemed, like, compassionate about it. Yeah. Like, Adam's like, we're going to fix this. I just thought it was so interesting how, like, the four of them were in that car talking about it. Like, this is how we're going to go over there. This is what we're going to do. And because, like I mentioned, I'm, like, one of four. And we can talk about my parents when they're not there. And we'll be like, you know, this is really serious and we need to talk to them about this or this thing. And then it will be an in-law who will be like, you know, they're grownups. Like they've handled their life so far. Like they they may not need the like more directional intervention from their children. (laughs) Like they'll probably figure it out, you know. 
Yeah. Unless you just need that outside perspective. You need sure, to hear they, from your in-laws. Oh, yes. <laughs> like, yeah, we do. Remember, they're adults. Yeah. yeah. They're like, hey, guys, um, you don't have to go in and <laughs> micromanage your parents' problems. You know, I never even really looked at the storyline from that perspective because I was just so happy to have the siblings, like, all talking to each other. So I was just enjoying that so much. But it does go so horribly wrong. And now that we're talking about it, I am thinking, wouldn't it have been so much better if Sarah had just been the only one to talk to them? Because, you know, she's the one who found the cufflinks and she is the one, I think, approaching this the most seriously. And I, I wonder if it would have gotten so bad if if she would have just had a conversation with them. But I don't know. She and Camille just had that, you know, kind of uncomfortable thing earlier. So maybe maybe not. Melissa, I think you raise a good point, though, like, all four of them, it does put them kind of on the spot. Whereas one of them, it might not feel so much like, okay, now account for all your mistakes. An intervention. I think Sarah yeah. used that word and that was that was a really good word. Yeah, it was so formal. It actually made me feel bad for Zeke. I'm like, seriously, you're going to have him just do this like in front of all of you? You just want him to be like, and kind of for Camille too, because if you want to learn about that, like, do you want to learn about it in front of everybody? Like, at the, because she even said, like, I don't want to continue this conversation right now. Like, she was like, yeah. I'm, you know. And there was clearly other stuff. Right. That was part of that situation mm. that none of them knew about. And then they were forcing her to experience it in front of her whole family. Yeah. Well, you know, Sarah might have had an indication because she, she found those condoms in the guest house where she's now staying and Zeke had admitted that they had marital problems. Not that she would have necessarily connected the marital problems with that property, et cetera, et cetera. But like, that's interesting that that Camille is confiding in the one person who kind of already maybe had an inkling that this was a possibility. This Sarah, Sarah Russell, <laughs> you just made a comment that I thought was so smart about Adam wanting to fix it. And this is something I notice so often, like, sometimes the best thing you can do for a person is not try to fix their problems. You know, sometimes that's like condescending and not actually very helpful and almost like an inflated sense of ego. Like, who, who are you to fix your your parents? Like, are they going to give them the money for the second mortgage? You know, like, what what is this conversation supposed to what's what's the point? You know, what what is the end game here? I don't know. Really, probably they just need to make it so Camille knows what's going on. And that probably would have been accomplished better without a formal intervention. Yeah, that seemed to be their goal was like, mom needs to know. But their dynamic too, as the four of them is always like, well, Adam and Julia are smart. And you two <laughs> need to like, you know, do what we suggest, because clearly we're the smart, successful ones. And you guys need to like, you know, Crosby and Sarah can just have feelings or something you know like that's like the thing that I <laughs> interpret from their dynamics so I think they were kind of like even Julia's like well we won't let that happen like we'll let him lose the house I'm like okay like I thought were you gonna do like a lawyerly thing or something like I don't know like I feel like they were like kind of talking like they were gonna solve it but they didn't really say what how they were gonna do that like you said are they gonna yeah. pay off the mortgage what are they gonna do buy the property up north <laughs> yeah yeah, Adam had that opportunity. He turned it down. So, <laughs> yeah, and that's what Zeke was trying to do to solve it. He was like, Adam, please buy this. And Adam's like, I'm not gonna. So I'm like, well, Adam, you had the chance to fix it, actually. You chose not to. Well, I think you raise a good point. Like, their their goal in the conversation is a little unclear. Yes. And yet, I think if I had to say what it seemed to be, you know, Adam knew about this one property. Sarah discovers that he is selling personal items that are really meaningful, like the signed baseball 
it seemed to me they didn't mention it, but it looked like there were war medals. Oh, some wow. kind of medal. Yeah, there was some kind of medal. Like that to me is just really tragic. So even if they knew they were having problems, it does seem like, oh, it's a bigger deal than anyone maybe knew. Although Adam knew that they maybe were going to lose their home. I mean, that's, it doesn't get much bigger than that. But um, it seemed like what they were trying to do was just alert the whole family of like, we all know, we don't want you to go through it alone. We want you to know that, you know, we're all in this together. We're all here for you unconditionally. <laughs> totally. totally. And that's certainly sweet. <laughs> and I, I thought that the whole dinner scene, I think maybe is the most compelling moment of the series thus far wow. for me. It made me think about what our previous guest, Aaron, said about, you know, why is money never the source yeah. of arguments in TV? That's what couples really fight about. Yeah. And I thought, well, boy, here it is. And to yep. great effect. And the whole thing is so uncomfortable, which is exactly as it would be. And I think everyone clearly has the best of intentions. Mm-hmm. They want their parents to know, we're here for you. I get why you're hiding this because it's yeah. embarrassing, but you don't have to hide it. As Zeke mentions, this is what family is all about. And I thought, it is. Who who else can you share your most yeah. embarrassing moments with? And yet that doesn't mean they're not embarrassing. Yeah. It was pain. I think it was kind of painful to watch. That's interesting that you talked about that on another episode. Cause I thought that too. I'm like, you know, money's like a big, huge thing for most people or a common source of stress. And yeah. so it's like good to see this show. Like that was a very real moment. Like I think many people could relate to that of like, this is the stressor right now in this family is a financial situation of a, like I'm shuffling things around, scrambling to make payments. Like I was like, Ooh, yeah, that's felt real. I gotta say though, isn't it interesting that even though we're praising the show, like good money, money problems, that is a very realistic problem. Maybe because it is a show that can't be all right. Cause there's also this it's woman. And so I'm like, in real life, the money would be enough, I would think. But yeah. I wasn't even entirely That's sure true. how the woman factored in. I was like, wait, how long was this relationship with this woman that Camille was covering? I mean, like, I'm genuinely so curious now. Was that like decades long? Was that a year long? Was that a couple weeks? You know, it was I, very I, cryptic, Melissa. I have questions because <laughs> Camille was like, she even kind of said, like, I never had the courage to call him on it. So I thought, sort of thought, like, did he really have the affair? Did you assume he did? Like, I didn't understand that scene. I was like, wait, what? Yeah. I wondered, the way she said it, it seemed like Zeke still doesn't know that she knows about it. Okay. 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 Let's go to the tape. Do you have it? Oh, good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We got to read the source material. (laughs) Take it to the text. (laughs) Been a lot of lying going on for a lot of years. Not just about money. What do you mean? It was a woman up north. Um. Yeah. I covered for him. Been covering for him for years. Telling myself that I was doing it for you kids, and you know, it's only partly true. Cause I, I don't know. I just couldn't. For some reason, confront him about it. So I let it go. Just let it go. And now you know. 
was a woman up north she uses past tense not present tense right so i'm guessing he's not still involved with this woman but then he she says i I covered for him i've been covering for him for years now that's suddenly still happening you know but maybe the covering is like the fact that he had an indiscretion in the past although that does make me think that it wasn't brief yeah yeah i got the impression it was like a relationship yeah But then I thought, okay, the condoms that Sarah finds in like the pilot, I think it was the pilot. Is that related to this woman in this relationship? Because it seems like he left his house to go up north to that property and to see this woman. So why would he need condoms in his guest house unless he brought them with him? This makes me wonder if there are other women, women who he, you know, would be on their property, but maybe not. Maybe that's just where he stores the condoms. But now I am curious, you know, like. Although how, I, one thing I would say, yeah. I don't think the property and the woman have anything to do with each other. It's just so weird that they said up north about both I know. of them. I, except perhaps maybe he was up there a lot and that's how he even found this property. Or this woman. Because he was seeing her. To me, the only connection seemed to be he lies to me. Mm. He lies to me about what he does with his money. He lies to me about who he's seen or not seen. But you know, who knows? Maybe he's having an affair with a realtor. <laughs> <laughs> then she does say I never confronted him, right? Yeah. So he maybe doesn't even know that she knows. How does she know? How did she find out? That's what I'm I'm like, this is so weird. Like, is there still assumptions or does she know? She seemed Like she knows. Yeah, she does seem like she knows. It also, it makes me reflect back on her earlier scene with Sarah when she says, for some reason, I've just never been able to confront him about it. And I thought, you know, when Camille says she's acquainted with failure. Maybe that's it. Sarah didn't know about that. And, you know, I think Camille is probably talking about lots of things. She's had a, a full life. But- I would think that would certainly be on her mind. And yet then when Sarah shows her that collage and you take in the magnitude of what Camille and Zeke have created, I feel at least like I understand some of the extra pressure that there might be to make things work. It's like, do you just topple all of that? Right. Because of that infidelity? And yet if it makes you feel so horrible as it clearly does, you know, it's not healthy to just sit with that on your own for so long. I will also say I thought it was pretty unfair of Camille to tell Sarah not to tell anyone. Me too. And you saw her feel that in the moment. Yeah. I get it that it's private, but it's like, why are you putting that on Sarah? It's not Sarah's responsibility. No. I'm torn on that, actually, because I could see needing someone to confide in. And she is the closest to Sarah. I think they've kind of well, established that. Well, Sarah lives that. there. And Sarah lives there. So it's not like I'm 100% like, yeah, that's fine. I, I see what you're where you're coming from. But I also think, well, as we've established, the Bravermans don't have friends and Camille needs someone to confide in. And maybe she doesn't want the whole family to know. And it does kind of seem more like she's protecting Zeke than herself with with don't tell the others. Although they did just tell each other something and then it kind of blew up. So, so maybe she's a little more like, I don't want to have another dinner about dad's infidelity <laughs> next week when yeah. all your siblings know. And like you said, Caleb, she doesn't want the whole thing to topple. Yeah. Talking about like Camille and Zeke's communication issues, I'm now fascinated at the parallels between them and like Hattie and Steve's communication issues. And, you know, it was something that I was kind of writing off as like them being young, but 
it really is hard to talk about serious things uh, in a marriage or in a relationship, you know, no matter how old you are. I think that it can be much easier to like let things fester and make assumptions than it is to just have hard conversations. And so I don't know, I, I didn't even make that parallel until just now. But I think that's really interesting. Like, if, if Zeke could have been more vulnerable with Camille, some of their issues, I think, would have been solved. Obviously, not the infidelity, but the money stuff. I mean, Camille said she wasn't so hurt about the money. She was hurt about him not confiding in her. And so that feels and may, maybe that is saying something about like masculinity, like the pressure to be a man. What does it mean to like feel like it's up to you to be the head of the household when, you know, they don't have to be, you know, it should be a shared thing. But Zeke's just kind of making decisions unilaterally for the household. Well, I think it's when you're when you're in a marriage and like she has this feeling or some evidence or something that he's having an affair. If she has the hard conversation, then they have to do something about it. Yeah. Right. Then you have to be like, are we fixing our marriage? Are you leaving me? Are we, you know, like if I call you out on it, we have to have, there has to be like a next step. And if she never does that, they can just sort of be in that, you know, like yes. that's kind of a, another like realistic thing that probably happens more than we all may know, you know? Yeah. Just not wanting to rock the boat. Let's just, yeah. we do have four kids and all their grandkids and things are fairly all right. <laughs> Let's just like not. Well, and when she said that she was covering for him and she's told herself she was doing it for the kids, I was wondering if that means it was a long time ago or maybe it lasted literally like from the time they were living in the house yeah, I don't to know. adulthood. I remember working with an acting teacher once who pointed out that it's the people you love the most that you end up being the most angry with. Mm -hmm. You might think, oh, well, I would never have rage at, you know, like I, he was teaching college kids, so <laughs> they didn't have a lot of life experience. But it might seem like, oh, my family, the people are closest to me. I'm not going to have that feeling with them. He's like, those are the people you're most likely to. How mad can you get at a stranger? You right. have no investment in that relationship. They can only betray you <laughs> so deeply. But people that you really trust and rely on, once you let them in and then they hurt you, then there's some real mess that comes from mm -hmm. that. Yeah, yeah, you've got history. So if we assume that Camille knows about this affair but Zeke doesn't know that she knows. Do you interpret, as I did, Zeke arriving at Adam's with luggage as, ah, she did finally confront him about it? Yes, that's how I interpreted it. Like, they had it out, she kicked him out, or he left on his own accord. But I don't think he would have been very likely to leave on his own accord, so I assumed she asked him to leave. I assumed she asked him to leave also. I'm like, yeah, she, okay. she asked him for a break and he went to his son, which is awkward in a different way, but, you know. That is interesting, though. You know, earlier I kind of defended Camille confiding in Sarah and saying, don't tell the others. But now I'm going to kind of argue with myself, I guess, because I do think boundaries are incredibly important. And I think that the Bravermans don't have any. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think, you know, we talk about like what a lovely family they are. And they are in many ways. But I think in some ways, maybe they're not like they probably should have their own friends and their own lives. They should have, you know, people to confide in that aren't each other and who aren't 
directly influenced by this. Like it does put Sarah on the spot. You guys are right. I think I've come around. I think you're right on that. Like to, to say, don't tell the others. And then it puts Adam in a really bad place for Zeke to show up. I'm like, Zeke, you couldn't rent a hotel. I guess not. They have money problems, but like there's no friend that you could stay with, you know, where you're not putting your kid directly in the middle yeah. of this marital strife. Yeah. Yeah. Like what's he supposed to say to his mom? Yeah. Dad's staying here. I mean, that's weird. And, and if Camille did kick him out, so much for her wanting to keep it a secret. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. If you don't let him stay there, people are going to find out. Yeah. Well, I thought, you know, I tend to probably look to the titles of the episodes for more guidance than <laughs> I should. But, um, you know, I had looked up earlier in the episode when Julia says namaste to um, Which is Raquel. hilarious. Why do we practice <laughs> I mean, she like, bows. I know generally what namaste means, but I thought, oh, what does it literally mean? So I looked it up, and at least according to Google, it literally means I bow to you. So the episode being called Namaste No More would translate to I bow to you no more. Huh. I thought, okay, of course that immediately applies kind of to Julia and Raquel. But then I thought more broadly, perhaps this episode had a lot of redefining relationships. So like I said, Julia redefining her relationship with Raquel through soccer. Uh, Adam and Christina with the lessings. Hattie, Steve, and Amber in every which way yeah. of that triangle. Crosby and Jasmine, Zeke and Camille, and the siblings with their parents, and particularly Sarah with both her parents, because they each are asking her to keep secrets. Yeah, because Zeke says, don't tell the others. Or no, Zeke says, don't tell your mom. And yeah. she says, don't tell the others. Wow. So I'll just tell everyone else in our family, and then we'll all tell mom together. <laughs> specifically asked us not to do. <laughs> Loophole. <laughs> oh no that's good i think i think that's it i bow to you no more i like that well and maybe camille is camille's not bound to yeah she's Z done with no that more. yeah mm -hmm. it was just such a packed episode i mean it was there was so much here i think it might be my favorite so far actually i i don't know i just i thought it was wonderful and i really i mean i feel like this episode more than any other and i'm sure you can tell based on things i've said i keep contradicting myself you know i i quoted whitman about it but i, I keep doing it because it's really so complex it's really hard i feel like one minute i'll feel one way and and the next i'll feel a totally different way i keep sympathizing with different characters and seeing where they're coming from I, I think it's really hard to nail down who's right, who's wrong, because it's all just very human. I don't know that people make mistakes, but I don't think anybody's trying to hurt each other. And that's, yeah, maybe my favorite thing about the show. It just feels so human and real. And, and that's life. I, I rarely think one person is entirely wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I thought this was a very satisfying episode. And it felt like we were really into some meat I think just especially getting the, the core family all together and then watching them struggle with each other was really satisfying. And maybe it's because by this point, we know each of them well on their own that to then recombine them, which we haven't seen, certainly not to this extent in a while. Maybe that's why it's so satisfying because you do get a sense that you understand where everyone's coming from and what they're good at and what they're not good at. Like, yeah, Sarah maybe understands what it's like to feel like a failure in front of your whole family. So she's taking this a little more seriously. And Crosby's just kind of along for the ride, learning as he goes because he hasn't ever had to do this. And Adam's a fixer and Julia's a fixer. And Yeah. A little moment. I, I think uh, 
you know, Julia and Adam, have you both, as you both have said, are the more responsible ones. But every once in a while, I detect just a little bit of competitiveness with them, like they're oh, vying yeah. for title of most responsible. Yes. <laughs> of course, Julia wasn't going to let it pass that Adam misspelled a word, you know, <laughs> like yeah. that's just a fun moment. Yeah, yeah, they're like, who's more successful or more in control, pulled together? Yeah. Good episode of Parenthood and hopefully a good episode of Parenthood, pals. Yeah. We'll let you be the judge. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but that'll do it for us this All time. Right. Yeah. Um, so you can f- like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. It's Parent Pals Everywhere. And you can find us at our website, parenthoodpals.com. Sarah, it was so great to have you Thanks. here with us today. I loved it. <laughs> Where Yay. can listeners find you online? I'm the Sarah Keat, like a parakeet, but Sarah Keat. <laughs> I love um, it. On Instagram and Facebook. So Very cool. Awesome. It was great talking to you. Yeah. I love you. You too, this. Caleb. Oh. <laughs> Good to meet you, Melissa. Good to meet you too. This is so fun. So fun. Well, until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.